now you don't have to agree with me. <laughs> I know what I'm talking about. And so you're coming, but you don't really feel like coming. But then when you get here, you say, boy, I'm glad I came. <laughs> God is good. God is good. You don't want to come. All kind of things going on. And you're just like, yeah, I just go some other time. And if you, even if you just, you know, you push your way through and you come and then you say, man, I'm glad I'm here now. Lord. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Amen. We're still talking about living a blessed life. <laughs> living a blessed life. And tonight we're going to talk about misplaced trust. Misplaced trust. Misplaced trust. Putting trust in the wrong place. <laughs> putting trust in the wrong place. It's misplaced. And so we've been placing trust in the wrong area. And when you trust, when you put your trust someplace where it need not to be, you are going to be disappointed uh, and most of the times. And so we have to know where we place our trust. And so we'll look at a few scripture tonight. I'll start out in Genesis chapter 14, verse number 17 through 24. Genesis chapter 14, verse number 17 through 24. Amen. Hopefully you won't fall asleep on me tonight. Hopefully you, now that you're here, now that you're here maybe you woke up as opposed to if you weren't here. You know what's funny? You ever notice some of the things you got to mark and learn from in life? And some of the things you mark and learn from in life is when you follow your thoughts sometimes about what you should do. And when you do it, a lot of times afterwards you said, man, it wasn't even worth it. You know, for instance, just say you followed your thought process today about just let me just go home, it's raining, I like when it's raining, and, you know, I'm in the bed when it's raining, I like that, and so let me go home and just, you know, lay in the bed while it's raining and just enjoy my bed, it's a good evening to just be in the bed, and you may do that, and for all the reasons in the world that you can't figure out, you just can't get comfortable, and you twist and turn in the bed till about 8.45, and then you said, might as well she just went on a Bible study. Because the time that you were going to take to try to get comfy, to try to just enjoy yourself or something, it didn't work out that way. And then you say, I should have just gone on a Bible study because what I expected to get out of my relaxation, I did not. I, I find that to be a lot of times when you try to do something you think you should do. Uh, you, you, you realize sometimes, ah, I didn't even accomplish what I set out to accomplish. Genesis chapter 14, verse 17, the Bible says, After Abram returned from defeating Kedolomar and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shiva or Shava, that is the king's valley. I'm reading in a different version. I'm reading in the NIV version, sorry. Then Melchizedek, this, this is verse 18, Genesis chapter 14, I said, right? This is verse number 18. Then Melchizedek, or Melchizedek, king of Salem, 
brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed Abram saying, blessed be Abram by God's most high creator of heaven and earth and blessed be God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. The king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the people and keep the goods for thyself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and have taken an oath that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even the thread or the tongue of your sandal so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me to Anner, Eshol, and Mamre. Let them have their share. There's a lot of lessons to take out of this, and we'll discuss where we're going tonight. But just for some of you, we can focus on um, we can look at verse 20 just for a moment here where it says, Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth. Now, understand this. This is Genesis chapter 14. This is before God gave the law to the children of Israel. So the, 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 the principle of tithing was before the law. So to try to look in the Bible, some of you understand what I'm saying. Some of you are saying probably I don't know what he's talking about. But to try to find scripture in the Bible to prove or disprove tithing, um, it's going to be difficult for you to disprove it because this institute and, and, and show us the principle of tithing. What is tithing? It's a tenth, the first tenth of Whatever increase or whatever earning you have, the first tenth of it belongs to God. The first tenth of any increase you receive belongs to God if you expect to live a blessed life. <laughs> Let me say that. If you intend to live a blessed life. If you intend to live a life according to your will, then it's up to you what you do. So if we do whatever we want, we're responsible to bless our own life. If we do whatever God says, God is responsible to bless our life. So always remember that, that how we behave will determine what kind of blessings we will experience. And if we take our life in our hands, then we're going to be responsible for everything, good and bad or indifferent. We will take responsibility for what will happen. And so... Tithe is the first tenth of any increase. So when Abram gave 10% of what he had to Melchizedek, understand this. God was never present for us to take the first tenth of our earnings to him. Because that's what a tithe is. A tithe is the first tenth of your earning or increase that belongs to God. But the question is, well, where are you, God? How do you want to collect something and you're not here to collect it? 
And God says, my servant that stands in my stead is who gets my tenth. So that's how some, we can't allow people that abuse the system to, 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 to control how we behave. So if some preachers that you may have known or not known or heard about decide that they're going to take the money and, and, and use it corruptly or you know, do wrong with the money or not do things right, that never changed the fact that God says the first tenth of whatever you receive belongs to me. And the way how you give it to me is the, 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 the priests, the, 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 the man of God that I've chosen to minister to you, to serve you, that's who you give it to. That's God's principle. Let me tell you something. I'm very comfortable talking about this because it's still the word of God. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not uncomfortable. Now, I'm uncomfortable when somebody want to give me something. I'm like, you know, I'm not an act. You know, I'm not a good receiver. All right? I like to give, so I'm not a great receiver. But in this particular thing, when I am teaching you about God's word and what God expects of you, oh, I'm pretty firm on that. I'm pretty clear, and I'm very comfortable in teaching you that because I want you to be blessed. I want you to live a blessed life, a life blessed beyond measure. And so that's what I'm telling you. So God wants the first tenth of what you earn. Any increase. If someone slip $100 in my hand, I got to make sure $10, the first ten, goes to God. And how do I do that? It really, I take it to the priest. That's God's way. We don't have to like it. That's God's way. So just think of the man, Abram, as powerful as he was. His army just defeated other kings. Took all the stuff that they got, and now he's a big man on campus. And here come this man of God. Abram could have just sliced and diced him too. Or just told him, do you know who I am? I'm Abram. I just defeated all these kings. I'm loaded. I don't need nothing from you. But Abram gave him a tenth. Of all his increase. So what that tells you is what Abram knew about God. And so that's where tithing was first talked about. And that's where it was instituted. So when we want to say where did tithing come from? Abram. He instituted it by how God instructed him. And so he gave the first tenth. A tenth of all that he had. He gave it because that's what God required. Your first ten, God required. Because God said, give me your first fruit and I'll bless everything else. That's what he says. And so sometimes, you know, we can't look at God's stuff in a technical way or in an intellectual way. We have to realize that we just need to obey God. All right, let me move along because that's not what I'm talking about tonight. <laughs> to this day, people of faith express their trust in God by giving a tithe. People express their trust in God by giving a tithe. In doing so, they are joining Abram in saying, I put God first and I rely on God for my provision. Incidentally, the next chapter records a famous promise God made to Abram. So look at it. In chapter 14, Abram went and gave tithes 
to Melchizedek. Look at now verse, let's look at that same Genesis chapter 15. And let's look at verse 1. This is after Abram gave a tithe to Melchizedek. Look at this now. Verse number 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. After he gave his tithe, here comes a vision to Abram. Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. You telling me, man? This is the kind of things that God is going to be saying to us or has already said about us, but he's just putting it in motion now. Verse number two, and Abram said, Lord God, what will thou give me seeing I go childless and the steward of my house is this Eleazar of Damascus. So look at what's working. Abram gave a tithe. Here comes the vision from the Lord saying, hey, dude. I'm your shield. I'm your exceeding great reward. Abram just cut to the chase and said, yo, I don't have any kids. We can bargain with God when we do what God says. If we don't do what God says, we don't have anything to bargain with God. If we do what God says, we can have a discussion about what God can do or can't do for us. But it's, it's, it's foolish to think we can go to God and start saying, here's what I would like, God, and, and we're just doing our own thing. It doesn't work that way. Abram, remember, this is not the first time that Abram had this conversation with the Lord. He has had one before. You'll see the one come up in Genesis chapter 19 where he had the discussion with God about Lot. So why did God call Abram a friend? And why do you think Abram had the opportunity, the privilege to just have these discussions with God to get God to work with him? Because he follows the principles of God. When we follow the principles of God, we can have some discussion with God about what can and can't be done. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. Verse 5 says, And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. So the vision says, go out and look at all the scars, the stars in the sky. Can you number them? Abram says, I can't. And, and, the, and, the, and the word of the Lord came to him and says, so shall your seed be. So he gave the first tenth of all of what he had. And now he's having this conversation with God. I need a, I need a son, God. I don't have any kids. And God says, not only will you get kids, but it will be so many that you can't even number them. And we worried, we worried about our little bit of change that God said to give to him. <laughs> we have no clue sometimes how we kind of sound a little off that we're, we're, we're trying to keep back stuff from God that God is saying, you think I want that? Here's the truth about it. You think God wants our little 10%? No, God is saying, this is my way of blessing you. 
And so if I'm going to bless you financially, I need you to follow this principle. If you don't follow the principle, it don't hurt me because I'm rich. I own everything. But if you follow this principle, I will be able to bless you beyond measure. I will allow you to have a blessed life because you followed my principles. Listen to this. Abram was rich materially. Abram had a great relationship with God Almighty. But the soul desires relationship with like-minded people, especially in reproduction. I made a note of that because my note is this. Our soul, listen to me carefully, our soul will never be fulfilled until it has right relationship with God and humans. Our soul will never be satisfied and fulfilled till we have a relation, a right relationship with God and mankind. So you can be rich materially. You can have power so people can say, man, he's powerful, she's powerful. Man, he has a great position. Man, she has a great... You can have all of that. But without a relationship with God and without a good relationship with your fellow man, you will still feel emptiness. And so Abram is teaching us something. He had a great reputation. He had power because he had an army. He had material wealth beyond measure, but he had no kids. And that alone made him go to God and say, I I need kids, Lord. This story highlights Abram's philosophy of life. Abram is the premier example of a blessed life. He left all he had to follow God. Anybody leaving all he had to follow Christ? I'll come to church, but... He refused to rely on man, and he tithed to God. Here is something I'm going to tell you how to live your life, and you will do well if you live it this way. This is very important. We must learn to love people, but trust and love God. You might have missed it a little bit. We must learn to love people, but love and trust God. What am I saying? Don't live your life trusting people. You can love people and not trust them. Why don't you trust them? Not because they're bad people, but because they can't even trust themselves. Because there's a real devil and there's and we have weaknesses and failures and we have issues. So we can't even trust ourselves. So why are we going to sit around and say, don't worry, brother, I trust you. Don't worry, sister, I trust you. We need to love people, trust and love God. When people do things to disappoint us, we will work with them better when all we gave them was our love. But if you want to heap up a whole bunch of trust on people that are fallible, that's your bad. That's your bad. 
Now, I know that don't sit well with everybody, but I'm trying to tell you how to live a successful, prosperous, godly life. Now, if you happen to have someone in your life that, that, that you, you, you feel good about how they get things done and you can depend, that's not what I'm saying. All I'm telling you is the Bible says all have sinned. So the person that you love the most, you may trust them, but they're going to disappoint you. Please don't freak out when they disappoint you. Don't lose your mind and act like I can't believe it. Why can't you believe it? Only one never made a mistake. Only one never sinned. Why can't you believe it? That's why I'm telling you, love people, trust and love God. You can put complete trust in God. He cannot fail you even if he forgot. He can't forget either. I'm just saying. So God can never fail you. You can put all of your trust in him and he will always come through for you. Always. Your husband ain't always going to come through for you. Your wife ain't always going to come through for you. Your kids ain't always going to come through for you. But God will always come through for you. So that's why I said put all your trust in him. Yes, love him with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. But you have to learn how to love people and not have to put trust in them. Not because you don't love them, not because there's something wrong with them, but because when they fail you, you can deal with them better. I'm telling you something real. I'm telling you something real. It's something, it's, it's something that I live out, to be honest with you. You can't do anything to shock me or let me stop loving you. Try me. No, you can't do enough. For me to say, I'm done. Mm-mm. Nope, nope, nope. You know why? Because I never set you on a pedestal to think that you ever can do everything right. I never set you there. I know you can't. I'm not going to go around telling you that, but I know you can't. So when you finally do something, finally, so it's not all the time, when you finally do something that's off, that's just like, oh, what in the world here? I'm okay with it. I can, let's work our way through it now. Now let's sit down and work through it. Let's talk about it. Let's figure out how we can avoid this now. Let's work through this. But I'm not going to be taken aback and be so distraught like, oh, what? No. Because I never put you there. Now I put God on that pedestal because that dude ain't going to mess nothing up. I'm going to, I'm going to, I don't have to worry about trusting him. So that's what I'm trying to tell you. Put God on that throne where you can trust him with everything. He will never disappoint you. Love your spouse. Love your your children. Love your friends. Love everybody. But don't love them to the point where you put so much trust in them that when they do something that you didn't expect, you're destroyed. I'm giving you scripture. You got to put your trust in Jesus. Love people, trust Jesus, as well as love Jesus. Because I remember, here's another way of putting it. My confidence, my confidence in my pastor had nothing to do with how great he was. That's why I can say what I'm standing here and saying today. I'm not telling you something 
Usually when you're hearing from me, you're hearing from me through the lenses of a life that I've lived. Not, not, not something I came up with. Not something I learned. It's something that I've kind of lived through. And I always, my pastor always is held at high esteem. And I submitted to him and, 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 and did everything I can to support him. It had nothing to do with how great a man he was or what he could or couldn't do because he had flaws. It had to do with I trusted the God he served. All I want to know is you serve Jesus. Once I know you committed to serving Jesus, I got you. Because I know no matter what, it will turn around in a second. I know no matter what, everything that is wrong, you can get it right because you have Jesus. I know that's who you report to. I know that's who your, 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 your source is. And so I can be all good with all of you because we all belong to Jesus. I'm not worried about it. We can always get it right with Jesus. So when you submit to anyone, including the pastor, don't worry about him. It's not about him. It's about the God he serves. And the reason why I'll submit to him because the God he served. When he stops serving that God, I won't mess with him. Because it's the God he served. I don't have nothing to do with him. Oh. Y'all feeling me? Oh, y'all just listening. As a result of trust, or as a result of trust God by putting him first, Abram became rich in power and property. And eventually he became one of the most famous figures in world history because he was rich in faith. Abram was a man who faithfully lived out the principles Jesus would express thousands of years later when Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Can't serve God and money. Can't serve God and anybody else. Jesus' warning about money is now famous. Most likely because millions of people have witnessed what happens to those who become servants of money servants of money. Now think about that. What 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 causes one or what says I am a servant of money? Think about it. Listen to some descriptions of money. It is common, has a bad odor, and is often dirty and unsightly. I have seen or heard of people eating it, burning it, burying it, throwing it away, searching for it, falling in love with it, hating it, trading it for their best friends, living for it, dying for it, working for it, and lying for it. It makes people smile, laugh, celebrate, cry, fight, hate, steal. And kill. It is cited as the number one key to happiness and the number one cause of divorce. 
It is highly valued, but not really valuable in itself. Jesus spoke about it more than any other subject because it is so accurately reflects or it so accurately reflects the heart of people. When you have a lot of money, what they say, it tells more about who you really are. You know, we like to say, if I had this much money, this would be different. That would be different. Think about it a little bit, because when you get a whole lot of money, Whatever you are, whoever you are, the kind of character you have it within you, it just be it just becomes more magnified. You don't change. We don't change. The money begins to reveal our true character. So if you get rich and you were mean, you're going to be even more mean. If you're rich and you if you are poor and you like to have a good time, when you get rich, you're just going to have a crazy time. So the money will reveal more about who you are as opposed to you changing. Money can be a wonderful resource for good, and it can also be the source of great sorrow. Jesus taught more about money than any other topic. His teaching was designed to help people understand that mismanagement of money can create more problems than it solves. Mismanagement of money can create more problems than it solves. We do not have to look far to find evidence that money does not make life full of meaning. Uh-huh. Mismanagement of money create more problems than it solves. Here's a little thing I'm going to, a little enlightenment. It still comes back to if Jesus is the center of my life, the first in my life, it's going to be really difficult to mismanage money. Here I go again, living it. Because everything you spend money on will be centered around your lifestyle. Now, what is your lifestyle if Jesus is at the center of your life? I'm telling you. I don't have cable. What I need cable for? I don't have enough time to watch cable. How much cable costs now? About 300 a month. So I'm saving 300 right off the bat. Because of my lifestyle. I'm sure if I wasn't living for God, whatever the maximum amount of money you can spend on cable, that's what I would be spending. You ready for another one? I like the finer things in life. I'm sure if I wasn't living for Jesus, I would be drinking the finest wines. You know how much those are going to cost? Uh-huh. I can go on and on and on. That if you let your life centered around Jesus... You won't mismanage your money. What are you going to do with it? When everything you do have to do with Jesus. Just say. Uh-huh. Yep. When I go buy a suit, I laugh at myself. I'm not buying a suit 
so I can go to the Met Gala. I'm buying a suit to come to church. <laughs> God, I love Jesus. I love it. Just wherever I, in Christ, when I spend my money, I can track it real easy. Because my life doesn't consist of a whole lot of things, because most of it consists of Jesus. So I can track it. I know where it's going. It's not going too far. If you go through my checkbook right now, people barely write checks now because got all these other stuff, but I still like to write checks. I think the only checks I write nowadays is my tithe, tithe and offering. So if you go through my checkbook, Christ in the church, Christ in the church, Christ in the church, Christ in the church. I, I, I would not lie to you. You go through my checkbook, Christ in the church, Christ in the church. That's it. Not writing checks for anything else. I mean, I pay my bills. But somebody told me a long time ago when I was getting ready to get into this, they said, brother, limit the bills you have when you become a pastor. So guess what? I can really count on one hand the bills I have. They're all, they're all essential bills. I don't, have an, I don't have any bill that's not essential. None. I couldn't always say that, though. I'm saying that because my life just consists of Jesus. So no bills. And that's what, that's what I hope to keep. I like to keep it like that. And all I got to do is keep on living for Jesus. Here's a good example of us thinking money's all good and our comfort of having material things is all good. Luke chapter 12. I'm going to show you a scripture that you probably never really came across and paid close attention to. Luke chapter 12, verse number 13 says, And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. This is very good now. There's a couple things to point out. So this dude said to Jesus, Jesus, talk to my brother so he can divide the inheritance with me. Verse 14, and he said unto him, Jesus said unto him, man, who made me judge or divider over you? That's a loaded question right there. As we, as we learned in ALI years ago, if you don't give the Lord permission in your life, he won't work in it. We just want to believe God is going to work in our life just because. And so this dude is like, man, talk to my brother so he can share the inheritance. Jesus says, how did I get involved with your inheritance and, and, and who gets what? There's a, there's, there should be a some kind of rule that already says what needs to be done, right? Why should I get involved? Verse 15, and he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness. You know what? When you covet, what that means? It means to desire something unlawfully, to, to desire something ungod in an ungodly way. Yes. Namely, to desire something that belongs to somebody else. So when you are coveting, you, you desire something that belongs to somebody else. So Jesus, look at him. Jesus have a habit of doing this if you learn about it, your God. He has a habit of we asking him a question and the subject just get changed to something totally different. 
Why? Because Jesus knows the intent of our heart. Jesus knows the intent of our heart. So we can go to him any kind of way we want, but he's always going to respond to us according to what's in our heart. As a matter of fact, I try to live my life like that, that when someone comes to me to talk to me about something, I start talking to the Lord in my mind. What's the motive? And I deal with people that way. What's the motive? Sometimes I just give the answer because what you going to do? Just give the answer. But a lot of times I'm talking to the Lord in my mind. And if the Lord speaks back to me, which he has done on numerous occasions, I'm going to respond to the individual according to the motive if the Lord revealed the motive to me. Because it's a trait that the Lord uses. So I'll let people talk until they show the real motive. Don't get scared. Let them talk till the real motive come out because sometimes we, we, we don't realize that we, 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 we have motives behind why we're saying things and why we're doing things. And the question is, is your motive right to begin with? I like to try to weigh my motives with the word of God and see if I'm in alignment. And if I'm not in alignment, then I'm not talking about it. Let me go get in alignment before I talk about it. (laughs) Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisted not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. You hear that? A man's life consisted not, not in the abundance of the things which he possessed. So if you possess stuff, don't don't think that that's what makes you who you are. That That's not what, to the Lord. Okay, let me say it that way in case you missed that part. To Jesus, your abundance means nothing. If, if that's what you're going to use to say, because in case you don't know, for some of the Middle Eastern people back then, and some of them still think today that their abundance says that they have a great relationship with God. Because God is blessing them. And God is making it clear to say, don't you allow abundance of material things to say to you that I'm working in your life. Because that's not the truth. Because you can extort people. You can do all kinds of stuff and get abundance. That doesn't mean I'm working in your life. You're just trying to make it seem like I'm working in your life. Verse 16, and he spake a parable unto them, saying, the, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. Okay, here we go. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. So the farmer, I mean, his ground is doing good. He's getting a lot of stuff. He's like, man, I'm living large. I don't even have a place to put the stuff. I got so much stuff, I don't have no place to put it. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and and there will be I And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. When you get plenty, all you want to do is chill and enjoy life. When you get plenty... All you want to do is chill and enjoy life. But when you're enjoying life, you have kind of just blocked God out. 
if you decide I want to just chill, take it easy, enjoy my stuff, if that's what we live to do, then we're going to edge God out of our life. So that's why it's challenging to get stuff. Because who wants to have stuff and not enjoy stuff? Y'all getting quiet on me because y'all got stuff. <laughs> Woo! Who don't want to enjoy their stuff? You don't get stuff and say, I don't want to enjoy it. You get stuff because you want to enjoy stuff. Yeah, I like to enjoy stuff. But we got to be careful with that because stuff make us leave Jesus out. But God said unto him, you know, he think he's going to just chill and enjoy stuff. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? Let me translate. When you die tonight, when I take your life tonight and get you up out of there, what's going to happen to your stuff? Who's going to have your stuff? So God is trying to get us to understand you can have all the stuff you want, but if you just kick the bucket, boom, and be out of there, then what? What can your stuff do for you? Verse 21, so is he that lay up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So God is telling us when we spend our time laying up treasures for ourselves and not looking his way, it's going to cost us at the end. In Jesus, or in Jesus' teaching, our real enemy, what he was trying to show them, was not the stuff. <laughs> I talked about stuff. He said, I preach, you're going to tell me it's not the stuff. You just told me it was the stuff. Well, listen up. In Jesus' teaching, our real enemy is not our stuff. Our real enemy is our greed. And the misconception that our worth is determined by how much we own. So we have to be careful. Here's what we need to pay attention to. Pay attention to our, is greed working in your life? And do you feel like your stuff Create your status. Those are the two things I want you to think about. Are you looking at yourself to say, is greed working in my life? Because if it is, we got to get that rooted out, all of us, if that's working. We got to get it rooted out. But the other thing is, are we looking at our life and keeping up with the Joneses? Are we looking at our life and saying, I got to get more stuff because that proved that I'm somebody? Yeah. I just got to tell you right now. I told this someone not long ago. They didn't listen. Hopefully you will listen. Your stuff and what people think of you do not determine your value to God. Your stuff 
And what people think of you do not determine your value to God. It's your relationship with God that is valuable. And just the way God sees you and loves you is what's valuable to him. God don't need you to come before him telling him about stuff. He owns everything. God just wants relationship with you. And that's what's valuable to God. Not how much you can achieve. Not all the stuff that you own. God says, I can give you that ten times over and over and over again. It's my relationship with you. It's me and you that is considered valuable. So let's not worry about that stuff. And God is not telling you not to have stuff because he wants you to have stuff. He's blessing you with stuff. As a matter of fact, he gave Abraham stuff. So we can't say, well, you know, we shouldn't have. No, we got to have stuff. But what God wants you to do is not make the stuff more important than your relationship with him. God wants you to use the stuff to give the glory to God. So when we have stuff, we're supposed to be able to help other people. And when they say, why you're doing it? No reason, because Jesus loves you. So God can get the glory from your stuff. Remember what I told you. God is just ridiculous in how he's just like he has set this law in motion that if you give you shall receive and once you get on that bandwagon and never get off it's just the cycle you're giving god is given to you and it's just getting abundant abundant you're giving god is given to you and the cycle just continues and you just always have not because of anything other than you follow the principle of god by giving i'm telling you all of us in here, and I know some of us do it, we just need to live for God with an open hand, man. We don't need to hold on to stuff. God is too good to us. He's always going to give us stuff. Just give stuff to people. Just feel free. And when you come around people, give people stuff. When you're home and you see stuff, say, ah, maybe I can take this and give. And give them something. You know, I can, let, let me pour something out to you that's on my heart. This is how I feel about giving. So I've got two cars because one car, they was trying to rip me off because they wouldn't let me trade. They want to give me $500 for trading. But when I listed for sale, for sale, somebody would pay me 3000 So I said, I'm not trading it in. And I've been driving it once. No, my wife been driving a whole lot more than me. But here is the deal. I want to give it away, but I have a problem why I haven't given it away yet. There's still a little issue with it. And I want to give something that is worth giving and valuable and i don't want to go give it to you and it break down on you so i'm in this thing with god i'm like god what do i do with the truck i don't want to give it to someone and break down on them but i want to give it away because i don't want to just pile up stuff so my wife don't know that i'm just telling her now so she's been thinking that 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 truck is her whatever she say use it to carry her junk that's what she said and and i'm thinking about what i do with it you know, how do I give it away without something being wrong with it? So I don't know what I'm going to do, but I just don't want no abundance. I want to give stuff away. I want people to have stuff. And if I see where I can help people, I just want to give it here, 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 because we're not taking it to heaven with us. We're not. It's very important that we understand the principle of giving. So greed is what we got to watch out for. And the misconception of thinking having stuff makes us important. In that same passage of scripture we read, Jesus dropped the hammer by bringing the, the equation in when he says um, to them, look at verse 
20, tw- verse 20 and 21, again, where, where the scripture says, But God said to him, You fool, you will die this very night. This is n- another version of scripture, but the same text. You will die this night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. So we got to learn how to have stuff without it getting in the way of our relationship with God. That's the challenge, but we can do it. And I think if we get a real relationship with God, you'll see it's a lot easier to do than if you don't have a relationship with God. Because when you have a relationship with God, you really don't have time for a lot of stuff. You just keep going. When believers handle their resources scripturally, the result is a blessed life, free from vice and worry. Although our opening story about Melchizedek is often used to teach about tithing, the bigger point of the story is that Abram relied on God, trusted God for everything, and was willing to acknowledge God in everything. That is why he lived such a blessed life. So here is how we're going to live a blessed life. We live a blessed life by relying on God. Trusting God for everything and willing to acknowledge, acknowledge God in everything. So when we trust God with everything, when, when, when we are willing to make sure we acknowledge God before we do anything or when something is done, we acknowledge him. Thank you, Jesus. And, and then, and then everything that we do, we, we just got to make sure God is in the center of it. Then we will be living a blessed life. According to multiple studies, about 70% of lottery winners end up broke within three to five years of their winnings. According to studies, multiple studies, 70, 70% of lottery winners end up going broke within three to five years of their winnings. And check this out. And their lives are worse than what it was before they won the lottery. But listen to this. All these people had hoped and prayed for wealth. All their prayers was answered. You got to be careful. Wealth sometimes can mess with you, and you better be sure it, it was achieved God's way. Because the devil can answer some prayers about wealth to get you off track. Uh Uh-huh. 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 Listen. Let me step lightly. If I get rich by going to the casino or playing the lottery, it might not be God's doing. Preacher, how can you say that? God does not promote gambling. Why don't God promote gambling? Why, why is gambling not good? I remember years, people used to always ask that question because in their mind, I don't see what's wrong with gambling. Let me tell you one reason. I can't tell you all the reasons because we don't have enough time for that. One reason why gambling is not good. Because Cheryl, you might not know this because you're just a good, nice girl that grew up in a clean environment. You don't know nothing. <laughs> so here's one of the reasons why gambling is not good, Cheryl. 
Because in every instance of gambling, you're taking money from others to give to somebody else. And so you got people that's now addicted to, to, to playing your game. And they're taking their family through all kinds of situations just to spend money to try to earn some other money. So in gambling situation, there's a lot of life that is just messed up. You, you've got uh, uh, alcoholism working. You've got drugs working because people are usually living a certain kind of lifestyle and hoping that they can hit that, that million real quick. Uh, they can get rich real quick. So a lot of times gambling, it comes down to you're taken from others. And usually, you got a lot of poor people trying to gamble. Go find the rich people that gambles. What do they need to gamble for? They're rich. So usually, it's the poor people that have nothing that they're still taking their little bit, thinking I can hit it big. So they take their little bit to go gamble, scratching off, doing what they got to do to try to get their little bit. But they're faithful to it, and they're doing it day in and day out, week in and week out. And so they're jeopardizing their whole family lifestyle and everything, hoping that they'll win the big one one day, and it just don't work. This is why, make sense? This is why 70% go broke, because most of them that's doing it don't have anything, don't know what to do with anything if they get anything. Let me go buy a boat. Let me go buy this. They have no clue. Because their whole life they were scrapping to get by. And they were taking their little bit of money they earned to go gamble. So gambling promotes an ungodly environment no matter where it is. I don't care if it's the casino. I don't care if it's the lottery. I don't care where it is. It promotes ungodliness. Gambling promotes ungodliness. So it's never right to gamble. So I am telling you that when you receive riches through gambling, it probably wasn't the will of God. It just happened. Now, can you try to get your life right and make sure your life don't get destroyed by it, by living for God and not let the money be controlled? You sure? But don't go around and say, God bless me because I played the lotto. Don't say that. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. No, don't go around and say, man, I was blessed. God blessed me to win. Don't say that. You won the lotto, but don't say God blessed you because God don't want to be any place in that because God don't condone gambling. God do not condone gambling. No, no, no. Now, if you got rich by inheritance, all right, we can start to talk about that a little bit because, no, nothing was wrong with that. You know, you had a relative that loved you and they no longer here, so they can't spend it and they left you to have whatever, so that's cool. But gambling, any kind of way you get some lump sum through gambling, it wasn't God. Uh-huh. After Jesus told the story of the rich man, he revealed the moral of the story. The bottom line is that we either trust God or trust ourselves. So from the very beginning, when I started telling you about Abraham, it comes down to if you want to live a blessed life, you either trust God or you trust yourself. And if you want your life to be blessed by God, you're going to have to trust God. If you want your life to be blessed by you, then you trust yourself. I'm good. I know some of us are pretty smart, intelligent, and we can go and use our skills and abilities and make some money and be all good. But here's the, here's the problem with that. As soon as I finally hit it big, 
I can get sick with an incurable disease. Guess who can cure incurable disease? <laughs> all right. You see what I'm saying? So let me just trust him all the way for everything. Because if I hit it big one day through inheritance, I want to be healthy enough to enjoy it. And only promise, only person that can promise you good health and know that you're going to be all right is Jesus. Nobody else can promise you that. <laughs> so the big story here is trust God and not yourself. God will help us learn to treasure him and people rather than money and power. God will help us to learn to treasure him and people rather than treasuring money and power. And we all know, whether we admit it or not, treasuring money and power is, I don't know, we all, you know, our world is caught up with that, man. We love to have money and then walk around like, the, you know, King Tut. The scripture says, and don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. But your father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven never gets old or develop holes in them. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it and no moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Abram was first in faith, first in paying tithes. He gave 10% of all his increase. Tithing is a statement of faith. Not giving your money to the church. Tithing is a statement of faith. You trust God. So you read his word and you're just going to obey his word. It's your trust in God. Hmm, interesting. Just got a little flash real quick that since I've been living for God, even when I wasn't, I didn't even have the Holy Ghost yet. I didn't even, I wasn't really deep in God yet. But ever since I've been living God, I've been giving tithes. I've been giving my tithes to God. And, and my thought now as I'm saying it is probably that I, I had trusted God. Ever since I learned about him, I started trusting him. I, I might not have done everything all at once, but I was trusting him because I was giving him my money. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Yep. Always gave him my money. So tithing is a statement of faith. Trust and submission to God, not just a law to be kept. So when you tithe, it's demonstrating faith. Trust and submission to God. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. How we handle our finances is one way of indicating who's, who we serve. I remember I heard this story real quick. I'm almost done. So I heard this story, um, one of the sports guy I listened to. He said when he was in college, they was broke had no food, as most college kids know, usually broke. And he was broke, and they had an apartment. And so they were so broke when they add up all of what they had every month to come up with, they had a choice. They can either pay for heat or pay for cable. 
You know what they chose. No heat. So they just they just went and they sleeping blanket. They just went into their electric blanket, whatever they had to. And they was watching um, sports. They were in their blanket watching sports. I don't care if we're cold, just as long as we get to watch sports. Wherever your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So the bottom line was sports was very important to them. So they said, forget the heat. So wherever you spend your money, that's where rulership is in your life. Uh-huh. Yes, yes. Uh-huh. I've got a thought, but I'm not going to say that one. Uh-huh. When we serve him, our lives will be blessed beyond measure. Uh-huh. And so I finish with this familiar passage of scripture. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. And behold, one came and said unto him, God, good master, what thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one. That is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandment. He said unto him, which, Jesus said, thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and mother. And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man said unto him, all these things have I kept from my youth up. What lackest I? Jesus said unto him, if thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, with God all things are possible. Remember I told you God answered questions according to motives. The rich young guy came to him and says, I've been keeping all the commandments, dude. Look, I'm a good dude. I'm keeping all the commandments. I'm doing everything. What do I lack to have eternal life? The Lord saw his motive a million miles coming. And the motive was he didn't trust God. He didn't trust God, but he wanted God to hook him up. So I don't trust you, God, but I still want eternal life. And that's something that we have to ask ourselves and how people go at it. Everybody want to go to heaven. Does everybody trust God? Because you're only going to make it to heaven if you trust God. This is why you've heard me said many times, if you live for God to go to heaven, you won't get there. Because it's not trust. You're living for God for I don't know, blessings. You're living for God for him to do favors. If you live for God to go to heaven, you won't get there. If you live for God to have relationship with him, you will get there. Listen to this as I finish off what we just read. Heaven was rooting for him. He had a great job, a significant political post, and good deal of money. 
but God was interested in what was in his heart. God is interested in what is in our heart. And we can't fool him. Upon hearing about Jesus, the young man sought him out. The Gospel of Matthew records the conversation this good moral young man had with Jesus. He told Jesus about his clean living and then asked, what else do I need to do to inherit eternal life? So think about this. He told Jesus up front how good he was. That's a little bit of clue for, hey, I need to be let in here because I'm a good dude. That's what he was essentially saying. I've been good. So I would I would suppose you all will let me in, right? He was ready to do whatever good deed. Oh, man, this is good. He was ready to do whatever good deed necessary to inherit eternal life. Key word, good deed. But Jesus saw into the young man's heart. Jesus knew the issue was not works. But the issue was trust. A lot of us can, can, can do works and cover up what we don't have or what we're not doing. But God cannot be fooled because we, he can see inside of our heart. And so we can do stuff to try to brush over. We can do stuff to try to cover up. We can do stuff to try to say, look, Lord, I'm all good. But we can do that to people, but we can't do it to God because God knows our heart. And this guy tried to come to Jesus to let Jesus say, oh, you are such a great person. You have done this. But God knew his heart. We're going to be fooled. A lot of us are going to be fooled by thinking that this person is great and that person is great and that person is wonderful because we don't know people's heart. Because the Bible says only God knows the heart. We don't even know our own heart. Only God knows the heart. So this dude came to God almost in a position of, I know I'm should, I should be good to get in. Yeah, he was ready to do whatever the deed was. He was good to do any works. And God knew that. Jesus knew his issue was not works, but trust. So he declared, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. All of heaven held his breath. The disciple listened intently. Would this young man who had been so religious and diligent go all the way? Would he be willing to trust in God more than his riches? When the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Unfortunately, this is a scene that has been repeated millions of times. This young man's life-changing decision prompted Jesus to say something that would become one of the most quoted passages in the Bible. I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. I will say it again, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus' comments so troubled the disciples that they wondered if it was even possible for a rich person to enter heaven. Jesus Jesus reassured them with God, everything is possible. Trust is the only way to live a blessed life. It is possible 
but only with God's help. If you are rich, the only way you can get to heaven being rich is if you trust God more than you trust your stuff and trust your riches. So you can be rich and go to heaven. As a matter of fact, every American that I know is rich, whether you believe it or not. But you are considered rich to majority of our world. So we don't have to put ourselves in a separate category from a rich person because we are rich. The question is, do we trust God or do we trust in our stuff? Are we going to do like that rich man? and sit back and say, whoa, I've done a lot of work. I've achieved a lot of things. Look what I have. I could just chill, eat, drink, and be merry. Or do we trust God and give away some of our stuff? Do we trust God and say, God, I give my stuff away. So we got to look at ourselves. And God can help those who are willing to trust him in everything. That's a whole lot of talking right there. But we have to reposition our trust. We can't let our trust be in what we have achieved. We can't let our trust be in our material things. We can't let our trust be in our positions. We have to put our trust in Jesus Christ. I didn't say put your trust in people. I told you to love people, put your trust in Jesus Christ. I know that sounds a little challenging, and I know it's probably different than what you've heard before, to put your trust in Jesus, but love people. I know that's a little different, but I'm trying to teach you how to live a blessed life. I'm trying to teach you how to live a a life that's just filled with God and not have to experience some really low lows. Because the really low lows comes from when you put your trust in people and they let you down. That's how you experience the really low lows. Expectation is what caused you to experience really low lows. But if you put your trust in God, then you will deal with life better when disappointing things happen. Because you're not going to be taken aback by saying, oh my goodness, I cannot believe it. Believe it because people can't even trust themselves. So you can't expect to trust them because they can't trust themselves. But if we all will trust God, we will have a longer track record and a longer history of doing the right things for a long time. So I'm not excusing you to to not not live right. I'm not saying go live crazy. What I'm saying is that if we trust God, the, 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 the opportunity to live a righteous and holy life on a consistent basis is a lot greater. And so we just have to let people trust God. The more they trust God, the more you can know that you can know that they'll be all right. Trust God, love people. Any questions? We'll talk about it after church because we're late now. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for instructing us on how to live a blessed life by putting our trust in the right place, and that is in you. When we trust you, Lord, we give our tithe. When we trust you, Lord, we look to you and acknowledge you in everything that happens in our life. When we put our trust in you, Lord God, we don't make decisions without looking to you. When we trust you, Lord God, we live a life, Lord God, that is God-centered, Christ-centered. And so, Lord, help us tonight to 
look at our life again, Lord God, and reposition our trust that it will be in you, Lord God. Help us, Father, to, to put our focus on you and to live that life, Lord God, where we have complete trust in you. And Lord, while we have people in our lives that sometimes let us down. Help us to love them so deeply that, Lord, when they, when, when they make mistakes, when they do things that let us down, that, Lord, we can handle it the right way because we love them no matter what. And, God, because you love us while we were yet sinners, we're learning to be like you so we can love people even when they are not perfect, even when they make mistakes. And so, God, I pray to Tonight, everything that has been spoken in this atmosphere, according to thy word, it will go into our heart and take root. It will become a part of us and we can execute. We can live it out and we can make it become who we are because it's who you are. Lord, bless us tonight as we go to our respective place of dwelling. Will you keep your hand upon us and let the power and the glory of God be revealed in our life because we trust you, Lord. We thank you and praise you for all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.